beautiful song. The White Sisters used to sing that song. Yeah, thank you, Connie, for that. Well, Dr. Hardy and I, I asked him, hey, could we sing a song together? So we're going to try a song together tonight, an old Southern Gospel song by Square Parsons. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will then be spoken. For time won't matter anymore. I'm longing for you as I'm.
Okay. <laughs> okay, well, I guess I'm on. <laughs> well, praise the Lord. I That was a, a great privilege right there, being able to do that. Uh, and knowing your pastor as long as I have, and his sisters, and, and uh, yes, I used to be a principal. But you know what they say about our principals? When they go down, we just lose our faculties. <laughs> but that's better than old teachers because they lose their principals. <laughs> but it's so, it's so great to be here to see how the Lord is using your pastor in the leadership here at this lighthouse, at this soul-saving spot here in, in Idaho. And, and uh, I, I just want to tell you, it's, it's a blessing when you've been a part, a small part of someone's life, just to see what God does. And so uh, I thank you very much, Brother Tony, for the invitation to come. And, and it's, uh, it's great to see your sister and her hubby. And, and you're getting pretty good on that guitar. I'm telling you, man, that's uh, it's strumming right, right along very nicely. <laughs> uh, let me uh, just do this real quickly because I, I, I didn't do it this morning. People have been asking me uh, about the materials out there. Uh, and I was talking to a few of you before the service. Um, I started a series called America's Forgotten History, produced it. And, and the reason why is uh, because... For two and a half years, I asked a question, and it should be a question we all know, and that is, who was the penman? Who put all the ideas together to give us the Constitution that gave us a more perfect union? And so for two and a half years, I asked that question in churches. And just about every week that question was asked, but no one could tell me. They, some people said, well, it was James Madison. No, I said, no, it wasn't James Madison. They said, well, he, he was the chief architect of the Constitution. I said, no, he wasn't. He, in fact, himself said he wasn't the chief architect of the Constitution. He was involved with it, yes. Some people said Ben Franklin. I said, no. Uh, he was one of the six out of the 56 men that came back from the Declaration to sign the Constitution. You know, out of the 56, only six guys made it back. Isn't that interesting? Because so many of them had died and, and were poverty stricken. And, and, uh, but Ben made it back, and, and uh, he was in his 80s, actually, when he made it back. It was a small miracle, because back in those days, guys, by the time we were 25, we had, had not a tooth left in our mouth, and uh, we were headed to the grave by the time we were 35. So the 35 in those days is the 75 today, you see. But Ben, so Ben being 80-some years old, he was, a, he was a small medical miracle, and he was suffering from gout very badly, and uh, they're watching all the proceedings. And guys started walking out after five weeks because they were just arguing. No one could just, you know, decide on anything. And, and uh, so when George Mason got up, who was a friend and neighbor of George Washington, started walking out, well, that's pretty big... Uh, influence there. So George Washington walked out with his neighbor in front and said, where are you going? He said, look, I'm, I'm here under my own coffers. Basically, he was saying he was funding himself being there. He said, I've got things to do. I've got a, a farm and I've got to get some crops in the ground. He said, look, just come back in for a few minutes. He said, we've had you for five weeks. He said, Dr. Franklin's going to speak. He said, oh, Dr. Franklin's going to speak? 
See, Dr. Franklin, he was world famous at that time. And so he came back in, and with some help, because he was suffering from gout so badly, Ben Franklin rose, and he made a very famous speech. And I'm not going to take time to give it to you in its entirety right now, but, but what he said in, in the essence was he, he was taking the Bible and beating the guys verbally over the head with the Bible because he said, I was here in the same room about a decade ago when we signed the Declaration of Independence. He said, my back was against the wall, and we were going to prayer daily. He said, do you think that God will not neglect a sparrow when it falls, and you believe that an empire will rise without his aid? We do no better than the builders of Babel. He said, I implore you, before we go to deliberation, may we start praying. That's one thing we have not done. And so with that, they broke. They had a recess of three days. Most people don't know that those men walked across the street and prayed and fasted, attended church services, reconvened after three days, and they started to pray now. A whole completely different atmosphere. And after five weeks, they left that hall with the Constitution of the United States based very much so on the Bible, 28 biblical principles, as I've already said today sometime, on biblical references. I can take you article by article and show you the scripture that that article was based upon, the concept that they were going after. The niece of the mayor of Philadelphia walked up to Dr. Benjamin Franklin and said, what kind of government have you given us? And he said, ma'am, we've given you a republic if you can hold on to it. Well, we can't hold on to something that we don't know about. So the first is our biblical constitution, things that you've never heard about. You say, well, <clears throat> who's that guy that wrote the constitution, Brother Harding? Well, you got to find the, you know, got to buy the DVD and find out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Now, his name was Gouverneur Morris. <clears throat> and Gouverneur Morris was the one that took all the ideas and put them down on paper as a rough draft, spoke 173 times, more than any of the men, with the exception of the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, who spoke 163 times. It was very interesting because there was uh, James Madison, he was watching every man as he came up to sign the Constitution, and he said when they brought up Dr. Franklin, very frail, he said, and, and, the, and the old man looked at the document, he wept. He said the old man wept. And Ben Franklin said, George Washington sitting in a chair and it's got a sun. He said, I wasn't sure if that sun was setting on our country or rising over our country. He said, I'm glad to know now it's rising. And this is the beginning of something very miraculous. So those things are talked about in this first one called our biblical constitution. Second one is the Barbary Powers War. See, we've forgotten that the Muslims attacked us in 1784, and we fought them for 32 years under four very famous presidents, George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison. By the time Thomas Jefferson became the third president of the United States, we were giving 20% of our GNP, our gross national product, to the Muslim nations surrounding the Mediterranean Sea, so they wouldn't attack our merchant ships because we had no navy. To speak of our navy had been Great Britain. And we really didn't have a Navy, so Thomas Jefferson, when he came to third president, he said, that's it. Not one more penny for tribute, but millions for defense. 
They took the millions of dollars and invested into the Marine Corps and the Navy, and they sent them over and they took care of business. From the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, that was one of the nations that we were fighting. Keith Ellison from Minnesota, he was a Muslim, and he said he was the first Muslim congressman ever elected to the Congress of the United States. Well, he doesn't know his history. Remember, he swore in on the Koran, everyone had a big hoopla, but how can you put your hand on the Koran and say you're going to uphold the Constitution? The Koran is diametrically opposed to liberty and freedom. Well, he wasn't even the first Muslim, Muslim congressman. The first Muslim congressman, they called themselves Mohammedans in those days. His name was John Randolph in the 1700s. But the only difference between now and then was there was a district attorney in Washington, D.C. who was a soul owner. He led that man to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, who was he? He was pretty good with pen and paper. He was one that wrote the words to our national anthem. His name is Francis Scott Key, all documented right here in the Barbary Powers War, with some very fascinating things as well beyond that. The third is our nation's capital. And this is an 80-minute virtual tour through Washington, D.C., and all the meanings behind our monuments and memorials, the biblical references that we are a Christian nation and why we are here. In fact, there are six special features as well at the end of the DVD. One of those, I interview Herschel Woodrow Williams, the last Marine, still alive today, 91 years old, that received the Congressional Medal of Honor from the Battle of Iwo Jima, the only Marine left alive that received our nation's highest honor for valor. And I interviewed him in front of the Iwo Jima Memorial. I mean, just that 20-minute interview is worth that. He said, well, how do you know much of these? Well, <clears throat> these represent years of study and thousands of dollars of production costs and editing and everything else. And I, I provide them for $10 a piece. That's a real meal deal. Amen? <laughs> and then two music CDs, Jesus Led Me All the Way, and an old-fashioned quartet uh, uh, CD I think you'll enjoy, and uh, those for $10 a piece, and then, and then the Constitution's uh, for, for a dollar. So there you go. Uh, the advertisement is over. Amen? Okay. So let's take our Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1, and uh, see what the Lord has for us this evening. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 1. And I want to speak on a message that actually was the foundation for that third DVD uh, called Our Nation's Capital. I've entitled this message America's National Alzheimer's Disease uh, because we are, you might say, suffering from that type of malady nationally. And so uh, Isaiah chapter 1, and, and uh, you know, for so long, We've been letting other people speak for us instead of speaking for ourselves. And we've kind of been pinned into a corner. I remember hearing the story of a, of a rancher, and, and he had been involved in an accident with a, with a truck, a tractor-trailer truck, and he was trying to recoup some damages, and, and so they went ahead, and the trucking company hired a, you know, a hotshot lawyer, and he was being cross-examined, this rancher, uh, on the stand, and so the uh, the lawyer said, "Now, now, sir, you say that uh, you were um, just fine on the scene of the accident to the officer, and now you claim that you had a broken leg. Did you tell the officer on the scene of the accident that you were just fine?" 
And so the man said, well, I was loading my favorite cow, Bessie, onto my trailer. He said, no, I didn't ask you that. I asked you if you told the officer on the scene of the accident that you were just fine. And now you claim you have a broken leg. You had a broken leg at the time. He said, well, I was loading my favorite cow, Bessie, onto my trailer. Finally, the lawyer got exasperated. He looked at the judge and said, Your Honor, would you please direct the witness to answer my question? Well, he didn't take into effect that the, the judge was also a rancher. And he had got interested in that favorite cow, Bessie. So he said, let the guy just answer the way he wants to answer. So the lawyer said, all right, sir, go ahead. He said, well, I, I was loading my favorite cow, Bessie, into my trailer. I got her secured there, and my dog jumped into my truck with me, and I started down the road, and I was proceeding through a green light, and I tracked a trailer truck. And he said, I don't know if the man, maybe the guy was sleeping or something, ran a red light and smashed into the side of me, and I was thrown in one direction, and, and I saw my cow, Bessie, she was thrown in another, and my dog was thrown in the third, and I landed, and I, I broke my leg very badly, and, and uh, I couldn't see and couldn't get up to go tent to my cow, and my dog was yelping, and my cow, she was mooing, and the officer on the scene of the accident the, uh, got there, and he, he walked over. I didn't see what was going on, but I could tell that my cow was in some major duress, and, and what he did was he realized she wasn't going to make it, so he took out his gun and shot her between the eyes, put her out of her misery. Then he walked over to my dog, and my dog had three broken legs, and so he knew my dog wasn't going to make it, so he shot my dog and put my dog out of his misery. Then he came over and asked me, how are you doing? <laughs> And I said, I'm doing just fine. <laughs> so what am I saying? I'm saying we need to start speaking for ourselves. Amen. With the right position and the right disposition. Saying the truth, but saying it in love. And that's what we do when we have pastors come to the Capital Connection, as your pastor does. And it was a blessing to see your pastor interacting with your legislative leadership over lunch today. And I could tell he's gaining a huge amount of credibility right here in this state. And I think that God's just beginning to do some wonderful things, not only spiritually, I can see that just by the attitude and the spirit of the church, but also civically as well, through and by your pastor. So I appreciate so much just the honor of of filling the pulpit here this evening. So Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 1, okay, and I've given you enough time to get there. If you can't find it, just look intelligently on whatever page you're on, <laughs> because I am going to read it. It says this, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So there's government and scripture right there. Hear, O heavens. Give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should you be stricken any more? You revolt more and more. Now mark these next two phrases here. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. It goes on to say in verse 6, From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. 
Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, and that's a very vulnerable state, and that's where America is tonight. We are vulnerable to destruction and judgment, and we, God's people, must do something about it. And here's the wonderful thing, we can do something about it. Heavenly Father, as we now bow before you collectively in our minds and our hearts, Lord, we once again ask that you would just bless the reading of thy word, and Father, that you would enter into this service in your presence and your provision in your power. And dear God, we are simply sinners saved by grace. So dear Lord, we ask that you would have mercy upon us and give us grace as we speak and as we listen. And Father, might truly you meet with us and do something miraculous in this service tonight. Create and maintain a hedge of protection around us. Bind off the wicked and the evil one. Help the cares and burdens of this life just to vanish away and help us to focus on the eternal. Dear God, as I step back, might you step forward now, and that your words and thoughts might be my words and thoughts. And dear God, control this fallen mind and these stammering lips. And oh God, truly, we ask that you would give us that holy unction. Enlarge and enlighten our understanding, and we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and glory for what you're about to do. For we ask in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, and by the power and the merit that is in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And so in thinking of America tonight, and we will for a few minutes this evening, it's only, only fitting that we think about the only other nation in the history of mankind that started with the Bible. Now, get this, we're the only nation in the history of mankind that started with the entirety of the Word of God because Israel did not have the completion of the canonization of scriptures. So that makes us very unique. And the devil hates America. He's always hated America. He wants America to fail. And yes, one day America will probably fall. But we, as long as we are here, we can make a difference, you see. And we can do something for our country and hold on to it and occupy, as God says, until he comes. And by the way, occupy is not just standing around waiting for the Lord to come. It's doing what you folks are doing, actively following your pastor and getting out there and seeking those souls that would have that desire to come to the knowledge of the truth. Occupation in the military is going in and never in the majority, but it's a minority of troops that go in and they negate the law of the land and they impose their law. That's what we've done for 200 and 30 plus years here in this country. We've negated the law of the world and we've imposed God's law, the supreme law of God, the Bible itself. And that's why we're a nation that all of our civic institutions originally was based and were based upon God's word. Now, Israel was very unique in the fact that no matter who they went up against, as long as they were right with God, insurmountable foes were beaten back. And God gave them one victory after another. And you understand, right, there is no reason why we should have won the war for independence. We were outmanned. We were outgunned. We had no navy. 
and we were going up against the greatest military of the world at that time. The greatest government in power was Great Britain. That's why old Ben Franklin never had a loss of things to say when they got through signing the Declaration of Independence. He said, well, we better all hang together or we will assuredly all hang separately. Because it was very minuscule as far as humanly speaking that they were going to be able to see victory. But they knew something, you see. They got a hold of something. They ingested something. They realized they were walking with destiny. And what they said was, with firm reliance upon protection of divine providence, we pledge to each other our lives and our fortunes and our sacred honor. They didn't just say that nilly, really nilly. They, they said, look, we're doing this because we believe that God is going to fight for us. Amen. Now, that gets me kind of excited. I don't know about you folks, but when we realize our founding fathers understood some things and they knew without God, they had no hope. And the same goes for us today. Without God, we have no hope. Amen? And so we see this nation truly blessed, but then something begins to happen. See, they start to stray from God. Now, in history, a lot of people say, and I already mentioned it this morning, history, some people think, think it's boring. And, and I disagree. History is his story. It's God's interaction with man and man's reaction back to God. Amen. It's cause and effect. And when you put God into the mix, it's wonderful. It's amazing to see the fact that history repeats itself. It goes around and around. It's a guidepost. It's a warning. I mean, we can emulate the successes of people that have lived before us and see those same successes again in our lives, be it individually, corporately, or nationally. Or we can forget and we can fall in the same trap that someone already fell in. And may I say, that is just stupid. Someone said, well, honey, stupid, that's kind of a provocative term. I said, yeah, that's why I use it. <laughs> because the etymology of stupid is from the Germanic term stooping, or meaning the runt of the litter. It's runt reasoning, see? It's when you look at it so much. Hey, God wants us to have a circumspect walk. If we are to know why we are, where we are, right here, we know, we need to know from whence we came. And then when we realize that, which brought us here from the past, we can proceed correctly into the future. Everything that is happening right now has been determined by the past. You think about that. Amen? I mean, we are the sum total of our collective histories. Amen? Some of the young people say, well, you understand, Bill Hart. See, man, I'm living in the present, man. You know? And I tell them, you're really not living in the present. And really, when you think about this, everything that we have seen and thought and said and done today is history. And what I said right there is history. And right there. And right there. Now, I know the light's on. Anybody home out there? Because as soon as I say it, as soon as you see it, see me wave my hand, that's in the present. No, it's in the past. It just happened a nanosecond ago. Because as soon as we see it, think it, do it, say it, slips past us and we're now thinking what has just happened see and so really when you think about it yes we are living in the moment but we're also living in the immediate past well, what did he just say what did he just say what did he just do what did she just say to me you know and so we have to understand something that that history is fascinating when you put god into it 
It is his story. That's where we get the phrase from. I told you this morning, I said uh, they put me at the end of the hall because they knew some shenanigans were going to go on when I taught history because I wanted history to live. And when we got to the point where it was the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, unbeknownst to my class, I, I brought a replica of the gun that Booth used to kill Lincoln. And they didn't know it, but it was loaded. No, not with a projectile. I didn't want it to be that realistic, okay? But it had a pretty good charge of black powder in it. And so I went through the whole scenario. And, and I talked about how John Wilkes Booth, being an actor, knew the play, Our American Cousin. And they, as they performed it, he knew exactly when they were going to laugh. And so that's when he opened the door. Couldn't hear the squeak of the hinge. He would wait right there, and they would continue, and he actually timed it to where it was a pretty boisterous part of the play, and each time they laughed, he took another step. And they laughed again. He took another step, crept up closer and closer behind the head of Lincoln, and he raised, bang, he's gone just like that, and thank you very much, because some of you did exactly what my students did when I shot that gun off. You kind of, you know, raised it up a little bit there, and that, and that we would say, we say, why are you doing that, Brother Hine? Because I want to make you understand history can live, you see. It is what, I'm sorry, if any, I hope no one has a weak heart in here. Okay. But uh, what, what I'm saying is we need to realize some things about history. And, and once Israel starts to stray from God, God tries to pull them back. And the way he pulls them back, now hold your hand right there in chapter 1. Let me just show you something here in chapter 46 of Isaiah. And there's a lot of different places we can go, but this will suffice for our needs this evening. But in chapter 46 of the book of Isaiah, when Israel started to stray from God, when they started to do two things, the whole head was sick and the whole heart faint. Remember that? That means they start to forget God with their head, and then they start to forsake God with their hearts. Isn't that what happens individually? People don't just fall off the cliff as a Christian overnight. No, they start forgetting who God is. And then they forsake God. And then they start following false gods and they get in trouble. It happens individually, corporately, in any kind of group, nationally as well. When Israel start to do that, God says in Chapter 46 and verse 9, remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring, look at what God says, the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, a man that executeth my counsel from the far country. Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Was God threatening them? No, he was telling them, if you don't demonstrate who I am, because that's what Israel did in the Old Testament, they were supposed to demonstrate God. The world was supposed to see God through Israel and their sacrifices and, and their beliefs. It was the channel blessing that God had to the world. And he said, if you don't start reflecting me and being the example of who I am, I'm going to bring a ravenous bird and I'm going to bring him to judgment until you do remember me. 
and then I'll bring you back again. And you see it so many times in the Old Testament where that cycle goes around and, and Israel starts getting prosperous, right? And they forget God and they forsake God and they start following false gods and God warns them through his prophets they don't heed it. And they go into bondage. They cry out and they remember who he is and what he's done for them in the past and, and then God brings them, delivers them and they go back but it goes over and over and, and you, you're almost rooting for them. Don't do it again. You know, but they do. You think about this, the devil's only had three main tools in his arsenal for all these thousands of years. And we keep falling into it over and over and over again. So we need to be students of the past because if you don't learn from the past, you're doomed to repeat it. And you know there's one thing that we learn from history? And that is too many times we don't learn from history. So, I want to just bring you a few things tonight I think that will help us as Christians, as Americans, to understand what God has given to us and how we can protect it. A lot of times, you know, there's guys that want revival in America, but you know what Charles D. Finney said one of the requisites, one of the prerequisites of revival in America was? He said one of the hindrances to national revival, this is what he said, the church must take the right ground in regard to politics. Politics are a part of religion in a country as this, and Christians must do their duty to their country as part of their duty to God. God will bless or curse this nation according to the course Christians take in politics. And you think about this, when was the last national revival? Well, it preceded us pulling out of government. And so that's why I, I'm just very excited about pastors now getting back in and fulfilling that responsibility, that biblical responsibility of government so that we can see a revival nationally. Do you believe, Brother Hardy, that we could actually see revival in our country? Yes, I do. I'm just, I'm just that simplistic to believe that God could do that because God is God. Amen. Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we see something from the book of Ecclesiastes. God says this in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 15. That which hath been is now, and that which hath already, excuse me, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. So he wants us to be students of history. Hey, Baptists, we've always led the charge. I mean, we've always been around John Clark with, with his uh, charter for Rhode Island. And, and the place of the flag was written by a Baptist preacher in our Bill of Rights that gives us the right to worship as we please because John Reed was good friends with James Madison. And the type of government that we have was because Thomas Jefferson visited a Baptist church and he modeled our nation's government after that church government. On and on I could go. But what I am saying is, folks, we need to realize some things uh, very quickly and then act upon them because if we don't, then we are going to be subject to judgment. And I believe in some ways judgment has already begun. And so history is very important. And Job 8 and verse 8 says, For we are nothing, we are but of yesterday. And know nothing. We are but of yesterday, and we're the sum total of our yesterdays. 
And when you go through Washington, D.C., you see some things, you see memorials and monuments that help us to remind us and remember uh, who we are. Look with me over to Joshua chapter 4. Are you with me tonight? Say amen. Joshua chapter 4, very quickly, and let me just read you something here from Joshua chapter 4, because memorials define points of history, and they aid us naturally forgetful people, uh, so that we can remember truthfully from God's perspective what has happened in the past. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1, and it says, And came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take ye twelve men out of the people. Out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom were prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man, and Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a what? Talk to me, church. A sign among you uh, that when your children ask your fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a what? A memorial to the children of Israel forever. So, so get the, the scene now. You have a little boy walking with his daddy on the east side of Jordan, and he sees those stones. He pulls on his daddy's britches and says, Dad, where are those over there? And the father looks at his son and says, Oh, son, I wish you could have been here. I wish you could have seen when we were crossing Jordan and the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of our God moved into the waters and God's power pushed the river back. And, and son, we walked across on dry ground. And then we went to Jericho and the wall seemingly went to the clouds, but God told us exactly what to do, to walk around that city six times and not say anything. Now, that's a tall order for a Jew. Because if you get three Jews in a room, you get five opinions, okay? Now, I, I love the Jewish people, but they love to talk. And, uh, and, you know, so on the seventh day, tells his little boy, God told us what to do, to shout. Priests blew the trumpets. Tells his little boy, and the walls of Jericho tumbled down. Little boy looks up into his dad's face and wonder in his eyes and he looks over to those rocks. He says, that's what those mean, dad? I said, yes. Son, that's what they stand for. It reminds us of what God has done. Let me ask you this. Do you have memorials in your life? Have you marked the Bible and maybe a verse that God answered a prayer for you? And the first time you prayed, how God showed up and did something miraculous for you. You know, it's good every once in a while to go back and visit that. I mean, I, I like to take my mind and go back to the time where I first got saved and realized where I was and what God did for me and where I am now. I, I know this for sure. I sh if God hadn't saved me, I'd be dead today in hell. But, hey, I'm not. I'm here with you, good folks. Amen? Hey, it's Sunday night. And tomorrow is a vacation. Woohoo! 
for the young people at least, amen, maybe not for some moms and dads, but for the young people, and uh, I asked one of the young people, I said, you got, you, you got the day off of school tomorrow? Yeah, I said, I remember just what that felt like, amen, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, we need to get excited, hey, look, if you can't get excited about the fact, in your mind going back to visit, when you first got saved, then one of two things is going on, you take your hand and go like this, and put it right, right there, because... I think you're dead if you can't get excited. You're either lost or you're dead. Amen. And if you're dead, please raise your hand because we want to carry you out before you start stinking up the place. Amen. <laughs> what I'm saying is God's been so good to us. We need to revisit that every once in a while. We have memorials in our life. There's certain verses that mean something to me. I've marked them down. I know God showed up. He did something special for me right there. Amen. We go to Washington, D.C. There's memorials everywhere. Do you know if you take a line, and you draw it from the Capitol to Lincoln Memorial, and then from the White House over to the Jefferson, it forms a perfect cross. In the middle of that cross, right in the middle, is the Washington Monument. It's 555 feet high. That's the number of God's grace times three. It's no accident. Our founding fathers meant it to be just that. On the top, on the top of the Washington Monument, visible only to heaven, Inscribed in a aluminum capstone are these words in Latin, Leos Dio, meaning praise to God. Amen. When the sun rises, there is a city ordinance. You can't build any building higher than the Washington Monument in that area because when the sun rises, it hits that capstone and emblazons it. Our founding fathers wanted to remind God when he looked down upon us years later that this nation was birth to bring honor and praise to him. I mean, I've walked through all the different monuments and seen the scriptures there. And, and as, I, as I said this morning about the Supreme Court of the United States, it's an amazing thing. I mean, we have an office right across from the Supreme Court. It was opened up to us after the first Catholic connection. I step out of my office and I'm looking at the Supreme Court. I'm so close to the Supreme Court, I could throw a rock and, oh, forget it, I won't say that. <laughs> But there's something at the top of the Supreme Court. All the inferior lawgivers are all profiled. They're looking at the superior lawgiver. He's at the apex of the building on the side that our office is on. It's not the back. There's no back side to the Supreme Court like there's no back side or front side to the Capitol. But it's Moses, and he's holding Ten Commandments. Now, when I first started realizing some things about how these monuments portray who we are, uh, I realized this, that the Supreme Court made a ruling that you couldn't look at the Ten Commandments in public anymore. Well, there it was right there on the outside of the building, so I decided to take a tour. And I went through a tour, and when they got to where the Supreme Justices sit, and they're sitting up here, so to speak, and they look out, there's wooden doors, and when the wooden doors are shut, carved in the wooden doors are the Ten Commandments. When you're sitting out there looking at the judges, over to your right and to my left, if I'm sitting where the judges are, is a huge relief of the lawgivers, and amongst them prominently positioned is Moses with the Ten Commandments, two tablets of stone written in Hebrew. So the guy asks, is there any questions? <laughs> I have a question. He said, yes. I said, did not the Supreme Court say that we can no longer see or view the Ten Commandments in public? He said, that's right. I said, then what is Moses holding? This is in front of hundreds of people. I said, what's Moses holding right there? 
And this is what he said. He said, those aren't the Ten Commandments. Those are the Bill of Rights. (laughs) So I raised my hand again. Yes. And this is what I said in front of several hundred people. I don't remember Moses being at the Constitutional Convention. And I don't remember the Bill of Rights being written in Hebrew on two tablets of stone. This is what he answered me in front of several hundred people. I know that's what we're supposed to say. Folks, we've been dumbed down. No one else got the joke, so to speak. Well, they got it after I asked that second question. And we need to understand something, that that we have a very unique society. In fact, the reason why we have a tri-form of government is based upon the Word of God. Look with me over to Isaiah 33 and verse 22. Are you with me tonight? Isaiah 33 and verse 22. People say, Brother Harding, you're crazy. Yeah, but I'm a good crazy. Amen? I mean, some people say, I can tell right now, Brother Harding, you are not politically correct. I say, thank you. But I'm biblically correct. I'm constitutionally correct, and I'm historically correct. Amen. And, you know, I don't care if the world thinks we're crazy. They shouldn't think we're stupid. Amen? And Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, it's an amazing thing. You know, our founding fathers, this is not a spinoff. Our nation is not a spinoff of ancient Rome or Greece like a lot of people would have us believe. This has never been put down on paper before. We put it down in the Constitution of the United States. Right here in Isaiah 33, verse 22, it says, For the Lord... Look at this. The Lord is our judge. There's the judiciary. The Lord is our lawgiver. There's the legislative branch. The Lord is our king. There's the executive branch. He will save us. So right there is the three branches of government that we put down on a paper that we call the Constitution of the United States. Hey, it's time that we start speaking up. Amen? I remember a story of a, a very successful businessman. He was on a business trip and and he stopped because there's a little wobble in the front of his car, so he stopped to get his tires rotated. And uh, they didn't put that back tire on uh, completely right, and they didn't tighten the lug nuts. And as he drove down the road, every one of the lug nuts, because of the vibration of the car, wore off and fell off. Until the last one fell off, and he stopped just in time before that wheel literally came off of his car. And it was cocked like this. He was on his way to a business meeting. So he got out of the car and he walked around. He didn't know what to do. And he, perchance, had stopped in front of an insane asylum. And there was an inmate looking at him through the gate. Out of exasperation, he looked at the inmate and went... And the inmate, very carefully and very calmly, said, Well, you can take one lug nut off the three remaining tires, put that fourth tire on, and drive safely to the next gas station and get some lug nuts. He said, yeah, that's a great idea. What are you doing in there? He said, well, I may be crazy, but I'm not stupid. (laughs) I don't care if the world thinks we're crazy. They shouldn't think we're stupid. It's time that we start getting educated about our country. How unique our nation is. Everywhere you look in Washington, D.C., it's tributes to God. It's realizing that as I heard your pastor say today, if we, as God's people, weren't here in the 16 and 1700s, there would have never been an America. People say all the time, oh, this is kind of a, a new type of preaching, Brother Harding, God and country. I said, no, 
It's very old. In fact, our founding fathers would have never been who they were had it not been for preachers preaching God and country. Amen? And if your phone's ringing, pick it up. <laughs> That's okay. Those things happen. Amen? Everything's all right. Washington, D.C. There are monuments there since the time that we started to erode in our faith Washington, D.C. has a World War II memorial. And, and my dad was a World War II veteran, and I still know some World War II veterans, and I'm glad to have a World War II memorial, but it was done by Hollywood. And so because of that, you walk in there. Now, I know FDR was a social liberal, but one thing that he did when he got the joint session of Congress together and declared war he, he had four words at the end of his message, and it solidified our country. In so many words, he was talking about the sneak attack of Japan upon Pearl Harbor, and he said America's righteous might will endure to the end to complete victory, and he ended it with, so help us God. Amen. The veterans go down there, and they'll look at that speech, and they'll say, where, where are the four words? They're right there the excerpt of the speech there, but the words, so help us God, they're, they're not there. And they, and, and they ask each other, where's the words that solidified us as a nation, as a Christian nation? You walk over to the same memorial and there's the Battle of Midway. The Battle of Midway is the second greatest maritime victory in the history of mankind. We had the whole ocean to go look for the Japanese Imperial Fleet. Had no idea where they were. Sent out squadron after squadron. Some of those fellows, when bingo fuel ran out of gas, they had a ditch in the water. We lost some of our best and brightest. But one squadron, flying above cloud cover for several reasons, came out of the cloud cover just in a lark. No, I think it was much more of the providence of God. Right on top of the Japanese Imperial Fleet. And within minutes, they had sunk the majority of the naval operations of the Japanese and the beginning of the end of the war happened right there at Midway. And what they say on the monument is it was a magic mixture of skill, men, and machinery. No, it wasn't a magic mixture of anything. It was God's providential hand on a Christian nation that was controlling that one squadron that had them fall out of cloud cover and the second greatest maritime victory in the history of the world occurred. Why? Because God was for a Christian nation against a nation who thought their God was in the form of a man, their emperor. Hey folks, we need to understand again who we are and what our history is all about and realize very quickly we need to do some things and, and once again remember some things and then tell others as well. Our nation has forgotten God. By and large, you know, my, my mother-in-law, she has two sisters, they went and they took a lot of things and they dealt with their mother who was... Uh, starting to slip into dementia. And they treated her with tender loving care. This was their mother who had loved them that they had loved all their life. And at the end of the day, she looked at them. This is what she said. She said, um, well, you're nice ladies. Do you work here? <laughs> and, and my mother-in-law said, you know, 
uh, on, one, on one hand, I didn't know whether to, to laugh or cry. It shocked me. My own mother no longer recognized who I was. You see, that's what God's telling Israel there in chapter 1 of the book of Isaiah. Even an animal remembers who their master is. But Israel, you don't remember who I am? You know what God's done for us in, in this country is amazing. No nation in modern history has ever seen the advances in every way conceivable that we have received. No one lives like us, eats like us, dresses like us. I mean, drives the type of automobiles that we drive. You go to most nations in Europe, and where they have train systems, right? Hey, here in America, we have the big gas guzzler still, you know? Let's get a truck. Amen? And right now, by the way, you right here in Idaho, you have the cheapest gas prices in America. I like it. $1.98 I saw today. Wow! I'll even say it backwards. Wow! <laughs> I think I want to move to Idaho! But what I'm saying is, hey, we've had it so good for so long, and we have now, as a nation, forgotten God with our national consciousness, forsaken God with our national heart. Now we're following false gods. You know how many people watch the Super Bowl instead of coming to church? Huh? Millions. Now, I like football, but it's not my God. And we're still very religious people here in America. We're just bowing down the wrong altars. Professional sports and power and promiscuity and all the rest of those things. Look with me to Psalm 78. I'm almost done. Psalm 78 and verse 4. Why do you think the young people are voting for folks that are running on hope and change? Reason why is found right here in Psalm 48. It says this, and I'll start reading for sake of time. Catch up if, if you would. It says, we will not hide them from their children in verse 4 of Psalm 78, showing to the generation to come three things. The praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Why? It says it in verse 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The reason why young people are putting their hope in men is because we have failed to teach them what God has done for us. And may I say, our hope is not in man. It's in God. We've been lied to. We don't even know our own stories. The midnight ride of Paul Revere. The young people, ever heard about that? And he rode through the villages crying, the British are coming, the British are coming. Uh, no, he didn't do that. Oh, yeah. It's our history books, Brother Harding. Uh-uh, he didn't do that. That's from a poem. Well, what really did happen? The reason why he didn't ride through all the city crying the British are coming is because only one-third of the populace here in America were on the side of the patriots. One-third were still monarchists. They wanted the king. And one-third, the last one-third, they didn't care. They were on the fence. And so it was a clandestine mission. And yes, he did see the two lamps in the old North Church Tower, got on his horse, but he rode to one man's house in particular, warned a few others quietly, but he rode to one man's house because he knew the British had two mandates, to take our weapons and our stores of ammo, and to kill two men. Who were those two men? One of them was John Hancock. He was the one that signed his name nice and large on the Declaration, remember? And when he signed it, you know what he said? He said, there, John Bull will 
double the price on my head. Now, who was John Bull? That was a slang like Uncle, Uncle Sam for our country. John Bull was a slang for Great Britain. He was referring to King George III. He said, he's going to double the price on my head. Well, he did. The British wanted John Hancock dead. They wanted another man dead. His name was Samuel Adams. He was the one that got the first tea party together. Okay? Because the British said, you need to unload this tea. And if you don't unload it, you're going to be taxed grievously. He said, that's no problem. We'll just unload it seaward, not landward. <laughs> and he said, hey, everyone get your cups and saucers and bring them down to the Boston Harbor because we're going to have a tea party. A little, little sugar and a little milk and you'll have a good cup of tea. Just dip it right in and, and here we go. Well, you know the story. Well, those two men, you see, were somewhere in Lexington. That's where the British were on the move to. And so he wrote to one man's house. This man, because he had a family tie with John Hancock, Paul Revere thought that's where the guys were going to be. I need to warn them that the British are after their heads. Sure enough, when he walked into the house that night in April, those three men stood up. Their host, John Hancock and Samuel Adams. He said, gentlemen, the British were on the move and most likely they're going to come west here to Lexington and then they're going to go north to Boston. And John and Sam, they're after your heads. Neither one of those men said anything. They looked at their host. This is what they said. Are your people ready? He shook his head. He said, yes, my people are ready. I've been preparing them for just this day. Who was the host? His name was Jonas Clark. Who was he? He was a pastor. He was the most politically influential man in that area. It was from his bell tower that the alarm rang that next morning early that summoned all the Minutemen, all men, by the way, and deacons from his church out onto Lexington Green, a little over 100 of them, to face off 800 British regulars. And he had told them from the pulpit, don't fire first. Because God is going to bless a war of defense much more than a war of offense. But if they mean to have a war, let it begin here. Before our side fired one shot, that shot heard around the world was fired. And the war for independence began. By the time we answered their volley back, 18 men lay dead and dying on Lexington Green. All members of a Preacher's church. Don't tell me we didn't have part and parcel and critical areas of the development of this nation. It was pastors that were leading the charge. Many times leading their congregation in the Bible. John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg, pastor of two churches, one in English and one in German, in Virginia. And he was preaching from the book of Ecclesiastes one day, and he said that there's a season for everything under heaven. He was referring to it in his message. He said, there's a time for peace, and there's a time for war. He had one of those black robes on, you know, like the men of the cloth worn in those days. What do you think um, your pastor and I would look like in a couple of black robes, amen? I think I would unzip it and pretend I was Batman or something. I don't know, but just to, but, they, but he had his black robe on from neck to floor. He said, I shall not again preach from this pulpit until we throw off the tyranny of King George III. And he pulled back his black robes and all the ladies went, ah. and underneath the black robe was an officer's uniform in the Continental Army. He said, how many of you men will follow me into battle to throw off the tyranny of our country? Men started to kiss their wives and pat their children on the head 
as they followed him out, over 160 men. By the next day, 300 men had followed him from his church and the surrounding areas to form the 8th Virginia Regiment. He was one of 16 men that became a major general in George Washington's army and was with George Washington when he received the surrender from the British. His brother was a pastor up in New York. His brother said, you shouldn't be getting involved in this. You're a shepherd of, of sheep. His Brother answered him back. There was another shepherd in the Old Testament who went up against a giant as we're going up against Great Britain. His name was David. And do you not think there's a cause? The British marched into New York and ransacked and burned his brother's church to the ground. His brother wrote him back and said, okay, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm in the fight. His brother became the first speaker of the house. His painting still hangs right outside the House of Representatives. We saw it that night that we were taken down to the floor of the house by Congressman Jim Bridenstine. It's still there. The brother that criticized John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg for getting into battle. Folks, what I'm saying is this. We need to understand our history that we are intricately involved. And we need to, as God's people, be the conscience of our nation. That is why, by the way, we are more than tax exempt. We're tax immune because we don't take anything from the government, keeping us unfettered so we can keep the government straight. But we have forgotten our role. It's time that we get back to where we are, are belonging in history and in our country and our biblical responsibility. So, in ending then, how do the people of Israel do? Well, look with me quickly over to Judges as I close. Judges chapter 2. See, Brother Harding, why is there such a concentrated effort to get God out of our history? And why is there so many revisionist historians that have taken these wonderful stories out of our history book? Well, the reason why is because if they can convince us that God wasn't the one that was critical in our development, then, hey, they can just go ahead and completely change our whole attitude. So there's two men that said the same thing. George Washington on the extreme right. Another man on the extreme left. You know what George Washington said? If we lose recognition of God's hand in our culture and God's hand in our nation, if we lose the idea that we have a dependence upon him, if we lose the idea that we have a dependence upon him, there's no way that our nation will last. Karl Marx said the same thing. Take the heritage from the people and they're easily persuaded. Of course they want to take these stories from us. Judges chapter 2 and verse 7, look at it with me. And, and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Look at verse 8. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. So get this now. All that generation that saw God perform miracles now are gone. Okay? Verse 10, for sake of time. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there rose another generation after them, look at this now, which knew not the Lord. They forgot the whole head, sick. Nor yet the works which he had done for Israel, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. Look at this now in verse 12. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and the whole heart faint. 
they forgot with their head, they forsook with their heart. And look at the next, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were around them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger and they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that, and look at this, that spoiled them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Wheresoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil and as the Lord had said, as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Say, so, Bohai, what are you talking about? The reason I have this, I've answered this gun country ministry, answered the call to this ministry, is because I don't want to see America on the auction block. I, I don't want to see, I, I, want, I want to see these young people grow up with the same opportunities that we had. Uh, and the younger folks that perhaps are in the nursery, and, and there's a young one right, right back there. I saw Sophie today. Man, she is a live liar. <laughs> and this little one over here, I, I want these young people to grow up in the same nation that we grew up in, don't you? Yeah. But that will not happen unless we start doing something tonight. See, but honey, we're not many. We don't need many. God never needs many. I told you to hold your hand in Isaiah chapter 1. Just two more verses now, and I'm done. Are you with me? Still with me? Yeah. It's not even 7 o'clock yet. Amen? <laughs> I don't know what time you normally get out. 10 till. Okay, I'll have you out before 7. How's that? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 9. God says, except... Now, I know there's one interpretation, but there's many applications to God's word. With your permission, I want to make an application. Right here. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. Now, you ladies know what a remnant is, right? Piece of material left over that's really not good for anything. And God could have just said remnant, but he didn't, did he? He said small remnant. But he didn't just say small remnant either, did he? God said a very small remnant. If he had not left, look at that, very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. You know what's going on today? Now, I'm not going to try to scare anybody, but I'm just going to tell you some things that the news is not reporting the way it should. The former director of the FBI that just stepped down not too long ago, you know what he said? He said it's no longer if, but it's when we're attacked with a nuclear weapon and to what extent. That's the director of the FBI, Mr. Mueller. Do you understand that ISIS is growing and our president isn't really doing anything? He's not calling the threat a threat. You know, I worked for diplomatic security in the State Department. You know what they did? They made sure that we were able to see, read body language, to see if someone walking towards us had malice on their heart, just by their body language, because they never wanted us to be cold-cocked. Now, I, I'm not proud about this. I didn't get saved till I was 21, but I used to be a street fighter. I mean, that's why I have a Roman nose. Rome's all over my face. Rome's this way and that way. It's been broken so many times. And I got a scar right here, and I've got scars on my knuckles. And, and I'm not proud of it, but, but hey, there's one thing that I learned when I was out there fighting in the streets, is you don't want to get cold-cocked. You want to, don't want to get flat-footed. 
I mean, you want to be prepared. In the State Department, they told us, you be prepared. You make sure you're prepared. Hey, that's really, that's really done a lot of good for me. In fact, we were in, in Maryland in a bakery, and uh, that training never goes away. And a guy came over to um, my right, and my wife was on the left of me, and there was a man behind the counter. My wife was drooling over the, the goodies underneath the, the counter. And I knew this guy was about to hold the place up just by his actions. So I got ready to go. I touched my, wa my wife on her arm, and, and she just went like this. She went, just by the touch. And I just very gently moved her over a little bit, and I looked at the guy, and he wasn't anywhere near my size, and he knew I knew, and then he got real nervous. And I hadn't decided whether to cut the wind off to his, uh, in his neck to his wind, or turn him into a soprano for the rest of his life, but... <laughs> But I was about to go, and he knew that. And he got to a point where, I, and I could just see it. He got to a point, it was either fight or flight, and he decided to leave. And the man behind the counter never realized he had almost got robbed. My wife, after we left, she said, what was going on? I explained it to her. But folks, we're flat-footed. We're going to get hit hard. Why hasn't that happened yet? On the way back on the flight, in Southwest, we were watching Fox News, and they were talking about the EMP threat. On Fox News, that Korea was developing an electromagnetic pulse bomb, a dirty bomb. And that's something that if they explode one strategically placed 300 miles above the center of the United States, it will shut down all of our regional grids. The ionization of our atmosphere will be without electricity for six months to a year. Do you know what that would do for, to our society? Did you see the southern, southern coastal states after Katrina hit when we were rushing to their aid? How social order broke down immediately? I mean, we're so soft as a society. We've never had to endure hardness. I don't want anything like that to happen. But people don't even know about that. Now, God doesn't give us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. But it's right to know and not to need than to need and not to know. Now, what can we do, Brother Harding, to keep that from happening? You're doing it right now. You're, you're here on Sunday evening, listening to this crazy preacher up here preaching about God and country. Just your presence here, except for that very small remnant. We would have been a Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hey, your presence here is a very deterrent to keep God postponing his judgment. You say, well, once God decides he's going to destroy a nation, but the Harding, he destroys it. Oh, that's true, but may I say this? We can postpone that. You said, how can we postpone that? I'm going to show you biblically how we can postpone that. Do we deserve judgment tonight? Yes. Why? Because as a nation, we have killed 58 million of our citizens. And God says he doesn't pardon the shedding of innocent blood. Because we've turned our back on the nation of Israel. Old Testament, New Testament. God will bless or curse those that bless or curse his people. Because we have validated same-sex marriage. And we're doing more so. Those are country curses. We're only three of them. But the reason why God hasn't brought judgment yet is because, in part, I'm looking at the reasons that very small remnant here tonight. You're being faithful. And the little ones are here. Now, the little ones, some of these little ones have no idea what's going on. This little one has no idea. 
She's looking at her, and she's looking back at her. That's okay, though. They're in church, amen? They're in, they're in church, and that's a wonderful thing. I mean, I've seen little ones sleeping in church, and I'm glad they're there because they're getting something. This little guy here, amen, he's smiling. He says, Mommy, when is this man going to be done? Okay, we can go, we can go. He said, but honey, I don't know if that's biblically correct. That wicked nation of Nineveh under a 40-day judgment call. And an unwilling, partially digested preacher by the name of Jonah showed up. No wonder they paid attention to him. You could smell him before you saw him. And when you saw him, it wasn't much of an improvement because he had been, you know, in the belly of a whale for three days. But he preached an eight-word message. Eight words. And they turned from their sin to God. God postponed his judgment from 40 days to over a century. I don't think we need that long of a postponement. I think God's coming back. But until he does... We need to be the ones to stand in the gap to make up that hedge for the land, for the Lord, so he doesn't destroy it. I sought for a man. Make up the hedge. Stand the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. I found none. Last verse. Look, look at it with me. Proverbs 28 and verse 1. Excuse me, verse 2. With this I'll close. Proverbs 28 and verse 2. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof. That means a lot of people take part in messing up a nation, as they have ours. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof, look at this, shall, that's a promise, be prolonged. Every day. For the last eight of the ten years that I've had this ministry, I've gone before the Lord, and I've said, Lord, I'm, I'm a man of understanding and knowledge, and I'm asking you to postpone your judgment for one more day. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You did it for Nineveh. You can do it for America. And then, Lord, I'll meet you tomorrow, and I'll ask you the same thing tomorrow to give us one more day. I have done that every single day for eight years. Why? Because God says in Proverbs 28 and verse 2 that by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof, promise, shall be prolonged. I want to prolong the state of our nation, don't you? You say, but learning, that takes some determination. Yeah, but aren't these young people worth it? Isn't our country worth it for you to say, you know, God, by your grace, I'm going to start praying that you'll prolong the state of our nation, and then I'll meet you tomorrow, day after day. I think little ones are worth it. How old's your daughter? Twelve years old. Not even a teenager yet. <laughs> and when you turn 13, don't float away, okay? Right here. I think our young people are worth it. And your young people, you know, it's up to you to start praying that same way. Dear God, keep our nation free so we can have the opportunity to grow up in freedom and do what you want us to do.
America's national Alzheimer's disease. But we, we must remember. And we can postpone God's judgment. So could you be a part of the solution? Yes. How? Come and join me at this old-fashioned altar. And you dedicate yourself that by God's grace, never another day in your life will go by that you will not pray for God to postpone his judgment one more day. And then, Lord, I'll see you tomorrow. Would you stand and come and join me at this old-fashioned altar? Let's not wait for any music to play or anyone to sing. Let's just come and do what God wants us to do. Because our nation and the freedom of our nation and what God's going to do as far as judgment or mercy, prolonging or bringing judgment belongs to you and I. That's scriptural. That's serious. And we can make a difference. Monday night, I'm going to tell you the next step, but it starts right here. By you just getting alone and you just dedicate yourself, Lord, not another day in my life before I put my head on my pillow will ever go by that I won't ask you to postpone your judgment for one more day. And then, Lord, I'll see you tomorrow and pray that same thing the next day. So my children, so my family, and my friends can grow up in liberty. We have forgotten as a nation, but may we not forget as the people of God, we are the conscience of this nation. And we, yes, that very small remnant can make the difference. In the quietness of this moment, let us do business with God. You could be changing the course of our nation right here at this altar. Right here tonight. It could be your prayer. That one more prayer that God needs to spare us.
passage of scripture in Isaiah that shows us what our needs are as a nation. You know, ISIS beheaded 20 Christians today. And there is a deep, deep threat in our world against people who believe in Jesus Christ. And we need to pray. We